Are you guys doing good tonight? All right, man. I, I don't. I still don't understand 722. Like, like if you ask anybody in the church world, hey, should you do a service on Thursday night? They're like, no, it won't work. And then we just show up every Thursday night, and it is there's just something about Thursday night that's special. Would you agree with me? Yeah, it's awesome. So we, it's. Uh, I'm excited. We've got a lot of work to do tonight. Uh, uh, Pastor Jovi's still traveling. He told me last week I was supposed to cover the end of chapter two and chapter three. And so um, I, I did chapter two and then called him and said, uh, I, I didn't do chapter three. You got to figure that one out when you get back. And he said, well, uh, let's figure it out Thursday night and then I'll figure it out Sunday. So we got a lot of work to do. Like we kind of missed chapter three last week. And so we got to cover it this week, but you guys are ready, right? All right. So book of Ephesians, we're doing this this study on Ephesians, and you got to remember that the first part of Ephesians is really this presentation of the gospel, that in two or three, four different ways, Paul is just going to present the gospel as God's work. The gospel is brought to us by grace. The gospel is Jesus, is our wholeness. He is our peace. And now this week, we're shifting to the second part of Ephesians. We're shifting to the implications. And so the gospel was presented, and now we're going to start asking the questions, what, what do we do with the gospel? Like if the gospel is good news that Jesus came, that Jesus lived, that Jesus atoned for our sins, like what do we do with the gospel? And so we're going to start tonight with implication number one of the gospel, and Paul's going to start his implication list with the church. Like he's going to start, now that we know the gospel, here's what's true for the church. So with that being said, we got, we got to get digging. We got to get rolling. So let's do this. Uh, chapter three, Ephesians chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. There's in your notes. It's on your app. Um, if, if you, if you need to borrow my Bible, we love the Bible here. So whatever you need to do to get in the word, go for it. Let's get into it. Here we go for this reason. So remember last week, Paul talked about that Christ was, is our peace. He is the wholeness of of our existence. And he is our peace for those who are far away and those who are near. That whether we're close to God or far from God, either way, what we need is Jesus and he's our wholeness. So Paul says, for this reason, for the fact that Jesus is our wholeness, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. So Paul's telling them, hey, I got an opportunity to write to you and tell you a little bit about the mystery of the gospel. Now, if you're new to Bible study, you need to know Paul's story to make, to make a little bit sense here. Uh, in Acts uh, 9, Paul, who was a, uh, a terrorist, he was a Jewish leader who was literally traveling around to kill Christians. Uh, Paul is on his horse he's riding to Damascus and Jesus literally just kind of shows up the horse goes crazy Paul gets blinded and Jesus just says hey Paul why are you persecuting me and so Jesus kind of gets in Paul's face and goes Paul I know you were going to kill Christians but now you are one and so uh when Jesus shows up when you're riding your horse and you fall off your horse you, you just go okay I'm in whatever you say Jesus and so Jesus meets Paul and Paul moves from terrorist a Christian killer to like the first ever church planner. So like really 180 degree turn in his life. Verse four. And when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has, which was not made known to me by the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. 
This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul says, here's the mystery. The mystery is this, is that the gospel is for all people. Now, he says Gentiles, and what that he's talking about for those people who are far off from God. Some of you are in here tonight, and you're here, and this is the last hope, the last ditch effort for you. And you would say, I'm as far from God as you can get. Well, good news, the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus came for all, to save all, the gospel is for all people. And here's what the gospel does. Here's the mystery of the gospel. It takes the people who are far from God and moves them to be members of the same body and partakers of the promise. Here's what it means. Because of the gospel, because of the gospel, the belonging and blessing of God is available for everyone. Because of the gospel, because of the good news of Jesus, the the blessing and the belonging of God is available to everyone. You're going to hear me say this a lot tonight. We are a movement for all people to discover and deepen their relationship with Jesus. Which means this, we are a movement for no matter where you came from, no matter your story, no matter your history, no matter your current circumstances, we're a movement, we're a body, a movement for you to figure out that you belong and there is blessing in our Heavenly Father. That we belong to the same body and we are, we are partaking, we are receiving blessing in the promise of Christ Jesus. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, even though I'm the very least of all these saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul says, I'm the very least of these. Now, let's just be honest. Like when you read verses like that, okay, it just doesn't make sense to me because the guy's writing the Bible. Like, he's really not the least of all saints. He's, a, he's pinning the Bible. So he's made it onto at least, you know, the who's who of Bible writers, right? And so he's, he's saying, look, here's what he's saying. I, there's other people more qualified than me for this. Because Paul says, I didn't make this up. I didn't earn this. It was given to me, right? If you've ever led a disciple group or if you've ever led a Bible study or if you've ever... Uh, Set on stage and preach. If you've ever been in a place where you're uh, going to teach the gospel, there's very overwhelming sense of, I'm not sure if I'm fully qualified for this, hits you. Like if you've ever tried to have the gospel conversation with a family member, all of a sudden you realize, I think there's someone more qualified. Like, right? Anybody with me? You ever tried to like, you start, like you're someone in your cubicle at work starts talking about like, Something that they're struggling with and you're going, I wonder what Pastor Ryan's cell phone number is. Like, I need help right now, right? I do it too. I wonder what the elder's cell phone, I need the elder's cell phone right now. There's this moment when you begin to share the gospel, you go, I think I may not be the most qualified person because I didn't make it up. I'm receiving it. Verse 9, and to bring to light, bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages uh, in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So Paul keeps talking about this mystery. This mystery that that the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is available for everyone. That for, and he talks about the, the uh, rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And Paul's saying, look, the angels 
have been sitting in heaven for years and years, eagerly waiting for Jesus to come so that they could watch the story of redemption unfold. You see, you got to get this about the gospel. The gospel is that you and I are sinners and we need Jesus. We need to be forgiven of our sins and we need to receive the righteousness of the cross. But at the same time, the gospel story is this, is that God created all things perfect. There was fall, there was sin in humanity, there was brokenness. And that Christ came to begin the ministry of reconciliation, of bringing people back to God. But ultimately, Christ coming to the cross was not just to reconcile mankind, but to redeem everything. Like when Jesus came to the earth and put his arms out on the cross, it was for you. But it wasn't just for you. There's this balance of that Jesus came to save us as individuals. But at the same time, heaven has been waiting for the redemption of all of earth and all of humanity. That that God's story is so big that now you and I, this mystery, we belong to this grand story of God's glory. And so Paul says, look, I don't think I'm the most qualified person to share this. And Paul says, here's... Here's what I'm trying to do for everyone. I'm trying to bring light for everyone. In other words, the intended audience of the gospel is everyone. Paul says, I'm trying to bring to light for everyone this plan of the gospel that has been hidden in God. And now he's revealed in Jesus so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. Here's, Here's what this verse is saying for you and I, what we need to hear. The church's existence... We exist as a church, as a body of believers, to declare God's glory throughout all the heavens, throughout all the earth, for all eternity. So that's what this verse is saying. Paul says, I don't think I'm the most qualified person to get this started, but the church exists, that we exist as a church, not just the church of 1122, but the church global, the whole church, all believers. We exist to bring God glory or to make God known to all of eternity to all of existence. That's why God's put you in your family. That's why God's put you in your office. That's why God's put you in your school, that you would be an image bearer. I said school, I'm sorry, it's coming back. It's just, it's coming. Just, just wait for it. It'll be here before you know it, right? And so God's placed us in these places, right? And some of you ask, I don't know why I'm in my family. My family's crazy, right? God sent you to your crazy family to make known his glory, right? And some of you are like, there's some glory to be made known in my family, right? And if you're sitting here going, I don't think my family's crazy, your family thinks you are, okay? It's all right. Verse 11, so the church is here to make known the glory of God. Verse 11, and this was according to the eternal purpose, right? If God has a purpose, it is eternal, right? Because God is eternal. So God is, this is God's eternal purpose. This is kind of going to be a big deal. We should listen to the rest of this verse. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness to access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul is suffering, right? Paul is in and out of prison, in and out of beatings, his entire ministry. Paul says, don't worry about that. Because what's happening is God's eternal purpose is being realized amongst us. Do you realize right now in this moment as we sit here in this church that you are witnessing God's eternal purpose be realized? Like just, just think about that grand story of who God is and what God's doing. And you and I are a front row, a part of it. Like we're not hearing about it. We're existing. We're experiencing as we join and sing, oh, how he loves us. 
What we're declaring is your eternal purposes are happening right here amongst us. Like right here, right now. And this is God's eternal purpose. That through Jesus, the church would make known God's glory. That through Jesus, the church, the body of believers, would make known God's salvation. That the church exists, the eternal purpose of the church is to make known God's glory. Which is simply this. Glory just simply means this. A weighted presence. Like we were making known the weighted presence of God that he has sent Christ to save. That's the, the purpose of the church. And if you ever hear, sometimes I'll hear this, that, hey, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. A Christian who avoids the local church is guilty of neglecting God's eternal promises. Like, let me say that again. A Christian who avoids the local church is guilty of neglecting God's eternal purpose. Why? God's eternal purpose is a body of believers united around the cross, making known his glory, making known his salvation. And so anytime I begin to engage a believer who says, I'm a believer, but I don't need the church, I just go, you're gross. And they look at me like, what? I was like, well, it's just like if I saw an arm laying in the parking lot on the way out. I'm not going, oh, great, that, that arm doesn't need a body. Right? I'm watching Walking Dead, and there's arms everywhere. I'm going, oh, that's, that's gross. I'm just saying, a, a Christian who doesn't need the body is like a foot just laying out in the sidewalk. Like, you ain't going, oh, that's awesome. No, you, you, you're walking, you're, whatever you got to do to avoid it, right? Not, not that we should avoid Christians who aren't a part of the church, but it is not healthy and whole. It's a neglect of God's eternal purpose. The reason we were saved is not so that we would just simply individually receive that blessing. But we would be join, we would join the rescue team. Like we would be joining the ministry of going, God is available through the cross, right? Let's keep going. Verse 14. Verse 14, for this reason, Paul comes back. What's the reason? Once again, he says, for this reason, that God is revealing his mystery through Jesus to the world. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father whom, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is Named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Paul says, hey, because of the fact that God is going to reveal his glory, reveal his salvation for the entire world through the church, Paul starts praying, right? Paul realizes the weight of this, that God says, I'm going to reveal to the world my glory through the church, through a group of broken people that are healed by the cross, that are brought whole by the cross, that repent of their sins and are brought into righteousness by the cross, God goes, that's who I'm picking to tell the world. That's who I'm picking to reveal my glory. And so Paul, he prays really this. He prays this, that the church would do its part. Like Paul says, I bow before the Father whom we have our identity and I'm praying that we would find our strength, we would find our power, we would find our faith, we would be rooted in, that we would find love together with all the saints. We would find that in Christ and we would know the love so that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Right? Here's what I mean. If the church, if the body of believers, if we, if we do a good job of making known the love of our Jesus then the fullness of our God will be known. 
Like if we live life as a church, as a body, and we make known the love of Jesus, that Jesus loved the world so much that he died on a cross on our behalf so that we could live in his righteousness. If we make known that love in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, then what we will do is we will watch people come to know the fullness of God. It's like if you took a starving kid to a buffet. And you said, hey, whatever you want, Chinese buffet, I mean, there's all kind of meat. Some of it's edible, some of it is your cat, but it's okay. You can have anything. If you put a starving kid in front of a full buffet, what's the kid going to do? He's going to get his eat on. Why? He's hungry, and there's the solution. And so we live in a world that if people are hungry for fullness. They're hungry for wholeness. And so if we put people who are hungry for fullness in front of the love of Jesus and we live and love them, then, it, then God will draw men to himself. The Bible says that if, we, if Jesus be lifted up, that all men will be drawn to him. So you know how we lift up Jesus? We love like he loves. We're unified around the cross. We love each other and we love our neighbors and we love our world in the reality that Christ has already made us whole. And so our job is to love each other. And just like a starving kid at a buffet, right? If we put the love of God in front of people who need wholeness, they'll find it. They'll find it. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul says this, now, to him, God, who is able to do more than we could even imagine. So just imagine the greatest thing God could do, and God's going, that's nothing. That's my warm-up. No matter what we think, no matter what we imagine, God can do more. So it's our job as a church to dream big, to hope big, to have big, audacious goals of what we are begging our heavenly father to do, to reveal his love, to reveal his fullness. Like I, I, when I pray for our church, I pray and I go, God, I don't want to be the limiting factor. <clears throat> I don't want my little small request to be the limiting factor. I want to ask things that are audacious and I have no clue how they're going to happen if you don't do them, God. <clears throat> One of our first weeks as a church, um, we had these, our bulletin, and you know what? It might even be, I think it was actually before we even launched because it's like the old school notes where you had like the, remember the old school notes? If you, went, if you went to church and we were still at beach, you got a newspaper. Like it was like, <clears throat> what's happening in, in, in entertainment this week, right? And they just had this really cool tear off. Now you have response cards like in front of you and like you don't have to carry the newspaper. If you want to tell us how you want to get connected, you just pull it out from in front of you. But this has got the map on it. It's like a few weeks before we launched. And um, on the top of it, it's just, just imagine a church where. We taught the scripture, and I keep this on my desk, and this is every day when I get and log on and start working on my computer, I see this, and I just, I pray over this list, and I'm not going to read them all to you, but here's a couple of them. I pray this, that Emery or Blake or Blakely, I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl when I wrote this, so I just wrote Blake slash Blakely, it's a girl, that Emery and Blakely would surrender their life to Jesus and lead thousands of people to know him. I'm also praying this, that, that churches would be planted from us every year. I was praying this, that Sunday would be so diverse, it would look like heaven. All right, this was a big one. I, this, I don't know how this is going to happen without God, that Jacksonville would be the city, that our tagline would be this, abortions became adoptions. 
That's what we're, I'm praying for that for our city. I'm praying that every week that kids would surrender their life to Jesus in New Gen, that college students would forsake the marketplace and be church planners 10 to 15 a year. And so I began to pray, and there's other stuff on here. I began to pray, God, would you do big things? And then within our first year, we planted a church. And I, I don't want that to be a limiting factor, that God, God, would you plant one? I want to beg God, would you plant thousands of church? Would you lead thousands of people to surrender their life to Jesus? That we don't want to be the limiting factor, that we don't want to be the one going, God, I want to ask you just for a little favor. See, God's in heaven going, no, 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 I want to make my glory known to the nations. So ask away, big boy, right? Let's keep going. Yeah, I think God calls me big boy. It's fine. <clears throat> We're like that. He's a tall one. All right, verse four, I, therefore, God is able to do all of these things. So I, Paul, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of calling, worthy of the calling in which you have been called. I, Paul, I urge you to walk in a manner and worthy of the calling in which you have been called. I want you to notice the tenses there. Walk is a present tense. I want you to presently walk in the manner in which you have already been called. That our present action is based off a past declaration. That our present action is based off a past declaration. That our activity follows our identity. That when we teach God's word here, our, our job as teachers and disciple groups, and when we engage God's word, we're not trying to do a behavioral uh, modification. What we're trying to do is point to Jesus because we believe that our action follows our identity. That Paul says your actions should be rooted in the fact that you have been called by the gospel. You've been called to be God's child. Right now, we know this is true. You know how you help a fat person lose weight? Right? And I, I was a fat person. I'm becoming less of a fat person. I'm down like 19 pounds. You know why I'm down 19 pounds? It is not because my wife puts me on a scale and goes, you're really fat today. No, it's because when I eat a, an, an apple, all right, I eat a banana, something healthy, my wife goes, boy, you're sexy, right? Now, what do I want to do? I want to eat apples all day long, right? I want to bring apples to the bedroom. That's the last series. Um, so I want to I wanna do, I wanna, and then I lose a couple of pounds, right? And my wife's like, you look good. And then I show up to work and people are like, you've been losing weight? I'm like, I'm getting taller. I mean, I get whatever. I don't, it feels good. If you want a fat kid to lose weight, you tell them how good they look and they'll keep going that direction. It's the same thing with our faith. Like if you want to change your behavior, then you just need to focus on your identity. Like if you, you're, you're not the things you do, your identity is rooted in the cross, that Christ purchased our identity on the cross. And if you want to run after Jesus, it's not, I got to do better here. It's I got to be more like him because he has redeemed me. I got to run after him and love him and pursue him, Right? Let's keep rolling. Verse 2 of chapter 4. Told you we had a lot to do tonight. All right. With all the humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So this implication for the church is about to just really dig in. And what we're going to talk about is this, is that Paul says the gospel implication of the church is that you and I are united by the bond of peace. Now, remember last week at the end of chapter 2, the Paul told us that Jesus, his wholeness, is the peace that has broken down all the hostility between each other and all the hostility between man and God. And so Paul is now saying, don't forget that peace unites us in the spirit. See, this is beautiful. The gospel is the only thing that can unite all of us, right? Here's what I mean, okay? If we raised hands on political 
like who's going to vote here and who's going to vote here, right? We would have people in the same row looking at each other going, man, this is a movement for all people if they let those people in, right? If you, political, we're all over the map. God bless us, right? Um, music, we're all over the map, all right? If you don't even listen to the music I listen to, let me tell you the music, music I listen to. It's called Podcast of Preachers, right? And I just listen to preachers in sports radio. That's my favorite music. You like music, right? It's fine. It's great. We all like different music, all right? How about sports, right? If we just start talking about sports, we can't agree on sports. I love the dogs and you're wrong. Like, I love the Georgia Bulldogs and you're wrong, right? The only thing we can all agree on is as, as like, as Florida State and Georgia fans is we all hate Florida. Like, that's just, that God bless our unity there. But, right, let me just say, if you took the two, somebody how about clapped and said amen, right? <laughs> I ain't even, oh, 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 wow. I'm going to sit back down. That's why they make me sit down. You're going to clap for my Georgia joke, and I'm going to knock the stuff off the stage. So here's the deal. If you take your neighbor right now, like you and the person on your right and your left, and I said, hey, we're all going to go to dinner, you can't even agree on that. Right? There's nothing in us that says we can agree on all these things. The gospel is the only thing that can do that. Like the gospel is the only thing that can say, I don't care. The gospel says no matter what, we know this. We are dead and the cross, what Jesus did on the cross made us alive. And we will disagree on everything else for the rest of our lives until we're in heaven and that's the only thing to talk about. But the cross unifies us. Verse four, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Here's what it's saying. Jesus gave us enough grace on the cross that we don't ever need anymore. That according to his gift, we have all the grace we ever need. That we don't need to choose to trust each other. We need to choose to take the grace of the gospel and place it on each other. That when we disagree about the peripheral things, our job is to go, the gospel compels me to unity. The wholeness of Jesus is going to take down this dividing wall. That when we have division between us and between other believers, that what we should both sit down and agree on is that the gospel has already given us enough Grace that even though you and I don't deserve to forgive each other, the gospel does it for us. See, what happens in the gospel, what happens with grace is we really become a melting pot. Like I remember growing up in, in like middle school and high school and they talked about that America was the great melting pot. And, and, and I don't know if that's the best example. I mean, I think culturally we're probably more like a salad bowl. Like there's just like some lettuce here and some tomatoes here. Right, and sometimes the tomato juice gets on the lettuce, right? That's kind of like our cultural blending. But what the cross does is we truly become a melting pot. That wherever we came from, that when we come to Christ, our identity is this. We are sons and daughters of the living king. Like the grace of the cross unites us so that now we can agree on, it, on one thing. And the most important thing, Jesus is Lord and Savior. That's the most important thing. Verse 8. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended? What goes up must come down, right? Physics right here in the Bible. That, what, that he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? And he who descended is the one who also 
ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. All right? We don't have time to get this one. Let me just tell you that, that Jesus was in heaven and he came down to earth and then he, he died for our sins and he went, like, like, let's just leave it there. We'll come back. This is a whole other series, right? Unless y'all want to be here till tomorrow. All right, here, here we go. Let's keep going. This, this is important. Verse 11, because of what Christ did, because he came down, because he brought life, he brought gifts to man, here's what he's going to do. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to measure the, to, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and by deceitful schemes. So because the fact that what Christ did on the cross, because he came down from heaven, he gives us gift of life, he sets up the church for the glory of God. Here's what he does. Verse 11, uh, Jesus gives to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. There is a five-fold ministry that, that Jesus gives to the church. And simply put this way, Jesus gives to the church leadership. That there are, there are uh, apostles who are church planners and church leaders. There are prophets who simply just mean that they declare the word of the Lord. There are evangelists who declare the good news of salvation. There are shepherds who take care of the flock. And there are teachers who expound or open or teach doctrine. That what God did is he gave this fivefold. He gave leadership to the church, right? He, my job is, is, is to be one of these, to play my part in this fivefold leadership. That my job is to lead the church, to teach the church, to encourage the church, to instruct the church with, with doctrine and, and, and the Bible. And, and here's why. Here's, my, here's our number one job as pastors and leading. Our number one job is this, is to equip you. All right? Our number one job is not to do the work of ministry. Our number one job is to equip you for two things. Number one, for ministry work. The number one thing I'm supposed to do is equip you for ministry work. What do you mean? Here's what I mean. We could not do church the way we do it without serve staff. Okay? That's not because we're a lean, mean, you know, green machine. That's because the Bible says as leadership in the church, our responsibility is to share the ministry. And so serve staff is not just something to keep you busy. It's something to keep you obedient. That we're serving the kingdom. We're serving so that others could come and know the love of Jesus. That my job and our job as a, as a ministry staff, as these fivefold, this leadership, is to equip for ministry work. I, I'm also to equip you for bodybuilding, right? Now, I know what you're thinking. I think Joby would be better for that. You probably would, right? If you've seen the pictures of him and his body, you ever seen the pictures of Pastor Joby when he was like a muscle bodybuilder, like a little bikini on like this? <laughs> I wish I'd have thought about it earlier. I would have found it and put it on the screen. <clears throat> maybe I can, maybe we can put it on our Twitter. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, I'm here to equip you as a bodybuilder. Here's what that means. I'm here to equip you to be able to encourage your brothers and sisters. That what bodybuilding ultimately is, is building strength into each other. As we teach God's word, the ultimate goal is to encourage you and equip you to build strength into each other. That as the saints, right? Do you know that you're a saint if you're a believer, right? Not like Saint, you know, Mary or Saint, you know, I've got a necklace, but like, the Bible says, Peter says, that, that all believers are the priesthood of believers. You are saints. That Paul, even in the beginning of this letter, he says to the saints of Ephesus, that you and I are saints. And so my job, our job as church leadership is to equip you to do the work. 
right? You didn't even know you were a saint. Like, you're going home going, I'm calling my mama and telling her she's a liar. She told me I was a demon and I'm a saint. You may have used to have been a demon. All right? So I am here. Oh, we're here. Jesus gives leadership to the church to equip the believers to do the work of the ministry, to do bodybuilding. Until what? Until we attain maturity. That's the goal. That Jesus gives leadership to the church to equip the church so that we would, mature, we would attain maturity. The way God builds the church is not just for organizational health. Like, there is some organizational health in having leadership. Like, it's a biblical thing to have leaders, right? Ephesians 5, we're going to learn in, in, a, in a couple weeks that, uh, that Christ gave man to be the head of the household. Why? I don't know most times why. Like, in most relationships, mine, uh, the woman is way smarter than the man. But God set up leadership. And so he sets up leadership in the church, right? But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is not organizational health. The ultimate goal of the way that God builds the church is this. It's our maturity. It's our maturity. And here's how we measure maturity. United faith, knowing Jesus. Like the more you know Jesus, the more you mature because the more intimate you are with Jesus. I'm not talking about the more Bible studies and devos you do. I'm saying the more intimate you are in your relationship with Jesus, the more you mature in your life. It just goes together. You run after Jesus, you understand your identity, activity follows, right? So we also measure it by this, united faith. That we will measure the maturity of our church by how we unite on things that are not yet seen. How we unite on what God is doing and what God has promised. That our job as pastors and leaders is to equip you to encourage each other, to put strength in each other, to remind each other of what Christ did on the cross so that, so that we would mature in our faith. Let's keep going. Verse 15. Rather, speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every area, in every way, into him who is the head into Christ. For whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself into love. Here's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to get caught by crafty human schemes, uh, false doctrines. Really what we're supposed to do is speak the truth in love, to remind each other in love the truth of the cross so that we would be built up as a body. Remember last week we talked about the word that believers, the church is the household of God. Well, this week, what it looks like, what the picture is, is not not a household, not the temple, but we're a body. Like we're being built into a body. And when every part of the body is functioning properly, the body grows and it builds itself and it takes care of itself. First Corinthians chapter 12 says that the church is like a body, that we're made up of all kind of different parts. That when we talk about we're a movement for all people, we're not just saying we're a movement for you to come from wherever you come from. That's true. But we're also saying even when you get here, we're still a movement for all people, right? Every, we need every part. In fact, the Bible says we should love all the parts of the body because you need all the parts of the body to be healthy. Now, some of you are toes. You're just, you're just a toe. You're a big toe. Like, you're a little awkward. You're a little so, you're, you're like, I don't know what to do. And if you, if you stub your toe, like, we know you stubbed your toe because you're like, ah! And like, if anything goes wrong, we know it. Like, we know it. We love you. And some churches have told you, you don't belong here. Some of you are, you're a big toe and you've been pushed and ran out of churches. And I want you to know this. We're not running you out. We love you. 
We love you. Some of you, your functions uh, are, are like body parts that, that get no glory. They get no uh, recognition. But without them, we'd be in trouble. And, and there's some of you who your part of the body may never get recognized. But we couldn't do it without you. We, we could not be the church that God's called us to be, to make known the glory of God, to make known the victory of the cross without you. And I'm not talking about the person next to you. I'm not talking about the person in front of you. I'm talking about the person sitting in your seat. That God has designed you and wired you and created you with all of your quirks, with all of your intricacies. I can't even say the word. Like all of your just, all those quirks and all those weirdness and all those things that, that no one else sees but you see. And God's wired you that way because we're supposed to be a body of body parts who are strengthening each other. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what does it mean to be a covenant member at the church of 1122. And what I want you to hear is before we even get there, I want you to hear this. We are whole when you are most in love with Jesus. That we're whole when you love Jesus. That, that our church, our body is going to be whole when our body parts love Jesus. Here's the point. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. All right? So what you need to know about that is we're a movement for everybody to discover Jesus, to deepen their relationship with Jesus, that everybody is welcome, that there are no secret societies, there's no entitled second-class membership or citizen, that we're a movement for all people. But we know this, some of us are ready to move from a receiver of the blessing to an owner of the mission and vision. That we're a community that seeks to glorify God by surrendering to Jesus, making disciples, and transforming communities. And what we believe is that our church, that now that we have begun to have some life and, and kind of some length of our church, we believe that there are some people in this room who are ready to step up. Now, being a receiver of God's blessing is really not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But we think even in this room, some people are ready to move beyond receiving things from the church. And we think some of us are ready to be responsible for things for the church. Here's what it reminds me of. We, we have family dinner. And on Monday night, my wife, uh, I come home from work and take the girls for a few hours. And my wife gets to go work out. And uh, when she comes home from working out, uh, I have dinner prepared. It's usually something that can just be pushed into the oven. Right, and, and anytime it involves actual multiple ingredients, my wife actually feels less love because the kitchen is a bomb. But anyway, um, we push something into the oven, we pull something out of the oven, and we sit down for da- family dinner. Right now, everybody at the Stone House gets dinner. Right, Mama gets dinner, Daddy gets dinner, Aunt Bino gets dinner, uh, Emery, our three-year-old, gets dinner, Blakely, our one and a half-year-old, gets dinner. Everybody gets to eat. Everybody gets all of the blessings of the stone house. But not everybody has responsibilities. Here's what I mean. Blakely, our one and a half year old, has never put her plate up. Never. Now, sometimes she's taken her plate and done this, which is actually less helpful. She's never put her plate up. That's fine. She gets all the blessings. She's not ready to be responsible. She gets to receive all the blessings. Now, Emery, Emery's our three-year-old, and she puts her plate in the kitchen. She's responsible for her plate. She is not responsible for cooking. Okay. The other night we made breakfast for dinner and it took her six minutes to crack one egg, right? She's just cute little, like she just, she'd look at it and she look at it, look at it. She, six minutes. All right. I've got the whole dinner cooked and we're still trying to crack an egg. 
She's not ready for egg responsibility. She's not, right? But she gets all the blessings. She gets to eat. She gets to put her own salt on her food. She gets, she's, she's responsible for a few things, but not for everything. She loves it, right? And daddy, daddy gets to eat. Daddy better eat, right? Daddy's hungry. And I have responsibilities. And so when I think about like the family, I think everybody gets the blessings, but responsibility grows. And here's the deal. I love Blakely and Emery almost as much as I love their mommy, right? Now, mama's number one. She's my number one girl, and and they know it. I tell them often, hey, that's my number one girl, but y'all are like two and three. I'll let you know which one's which, right? And so I, I love my girls almost as much as I love mommy, but they have no responsibility compared to their mom who has the broadest shoulders of a mom I've ever seen. And she takes care of the house. The kids, have, they don't do it, but they're loved. They're, they get all the blessings. They get, all, they get to receive it all. I think that's true for us as a family. I think when we talk about the family, this church family, I think there's some of us that we love you, but you're just not ready for all the responsibility. Don't let the enemy bring condemnation on you. I've never heard Emery go, because I cannot cook dinner, I'm not going to eat anymore. No. Why? She doesn't even know she's not cooking dinner. She thinks she's cracking an egg for six minutes, right? And so I want you to hear this. Some of you sitting in this room right now, you're not ready for the responsibility, but that is not condemnation. That's hope. That's like when we talk about building the body, what we're saying is we want to come alongside. We want you to start serving on surf staff and getting in a disciple group and and pushing into some of the environments that are going to focus you on Jesus and let your identity be rooted more and more and more and more with Jesus. There are nights when Blair gets home from working out and she's too tired to clean the dishes, so I clean the dishes. There are some of you that church life has worn you out and you just need a season to sit here and, and just receive the blessings of this place. But some of us are ready. We're ready to own the responsibility because of what God's done to us and what's God doing, what God's doing in this place. We're ready to re- not just receive God's blessing, but we're ready to be responsible so that others can. So, so let me just tell you a couple things about covenant membership. We're rolling it out. Covenant membership is here. I got asked for the first time five minutes before the first service we ever had. Like five minutes before we ever had a church service. I was back there in the Connect Center. Someone said, hey, how do I join the church? And I said, hey, this is our first service. It may suck. You may not want to. And they looked at me like, his badge says pastor. And he said, suck. I said, see, you may not like it. All right. Here's what covenant membership is not. Covenant membership is not for perfect people. Here's the deal. If you find a perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it, right? Covenant membership is not for perfect people. Paul said, I'm the very least of these, right? There's a lot of us in this room who are the very least of these. And covenant membership is not for perfect people. Covenant membership is not just for the mature Christians, which I think in some, in some cultures is calling people old, but you go, you're mature, right? You're old, right? It's not just for the mature Christians. It's for the maturing Christians. You see, maturity in Christ is not complete until we get into heaven face to face with him. Covenant membership at the church 1122 is not like this, this end of the road, we'll put you out the pasture, you've made it. That's not it. Third thing is this, covenant membership is not about perks and privileges, okay? It's not a country club membership. You ever join a country club or been to one or you've been to like an all-inclusive resort 
uh, or you've just been to Chick-fil-A on kids' night and you think, I don't take care of my kids. But you've been to those places where you think, hey, I get rights, I get perks, I get privileges. If you go to like the, the, the all-inclusive hotel and uh, there's a towel on the ground at the pool, you ain't picking it up. I don't because I, I don't want to take someone's job away. I don't want someone to get fired. That's really, I'm compassionate. But you don't pick up the towel, right? Because you got rights and perks. Somebody else is supposed to do that. Here's the deal. There are no rights in covenant membership. There's only responsibilities, Okay. You don't get a special parking spot. I take that back. You do. It's called Publix on Easter, okay? That's your parking spot, Publix. That's the one past Winn-Dixie on the other side of the street, okay? It's like Frogger getting here on Easter. But we don't get rights. We get responsibilities, all right? Here's what covenant membership is. Four things. First of all, covenant membership is, it's just people who love Jesus. It's people who love Jesus and want to see other people love Jesus. It's people who go, I love Jesus, Jesus he died for me, and I want other people to meet Jesus. That's what it is. All right? Second thing is this. Covenant membership is for people who just love what God's doing here at the Church of 1122. Like, honestly, I don't even know why. Like, there's no rhythm or uh, algorithm to what... The, we're not making or creating anything here except for the fact that God has chosen to be active here at the Church of 1122. Like, it's amazing what we don't even know yet about how to do church. And God goes, it's all right, bro. I got this. Covenant membership is for people who just love what God's doing here. Here's the third thing. Covenant membership is for people who just buy into the way that God has led us to do church, the way we've decided that God's equipped us to do church, that that we glorify God in worship and word, that every time we gather to worship, it's like the last night of like student camp, youth camp, we sing too loud, we talk way too long, and at the end of the night, we go, God was glorified. So it's just people who buy into that. It's for people who buy into the fact that the way we've built discipleship groups and discipleship relationships, we're going, hey, I buy into the fact that, that, that I need to be uh, discipling and discipled, that I need to be in relationships that are pointing me to Jesus. It's, it's for people who buy into the fact that our money should be placed close to the heart of God. And Jesus talks about this, and it's a little touchy and it's fine, I don't care. Jesus talks about the fact that where your money is, where your treasure is, your heart is also. And so covenant membership just says, I believe in what God's doing here so much that I want to put my money in a place and steward it well so that ministry can happen, right? And this is not a like, hey, we're in trouble. This, this, the ship is sinking. This is just, we care more about your heart than we care about your wallet. But what we know that the, the scripture says is that where your wallet is, your heart goes. And so when we say, hey, we're going to love Jesus and love what he's doing in the church, we want to put your heart there. And the fourth thing is this, you want to buy into what God's doing here, so you serve, you serve the church so that everyone would have the opportunity to love Jesus. That every week you can go to the Connect Center, every single week you can fill out the response card in front of you, you can go to the Connect Center every single week and go, I'm ready to serve. Anybody who's not serving, any week. Any, any week you're like, hey, I'm ready to join a discipleship group because I want to be around people who help me understand the identity of Jesus. All you got to do is take that card out in front of you and fill it out, turn it in. All you got to do to begin giving is just begin, right? Now, you can get all crazy about what tenth and percentage and all that stuff. We're just saying we just want you to be generous with your giving because Christ is so generous to us. So covenant membership is about people who love Jesus. It's about people who love what God's doing here. It's about people who buy into the way God's called us to do church. And, and ultimately, it's this. Church membership, covenant membership at the Church 1122 is ultimately ownership of the responsibility to work towards the maturity of the whole. So covenant members simply say this. We want to be responsible for people discovering Jesus for the first time. I want to hold doors open. I want to pray for people. I want to worship next to people. 
so that they could meet Jesus. That's ultimately what it is. I want to own, I want to own the responsibility of being the church. So how do we do this? Here's how you do it. Real simple. I'm just going to give you a couple things, and it's a whole process. And it's a whole process because we want to make sure that we're equipping you well to build the church and do the ministry of the church, to, to own that. Here's how you do it. You're going to sign up, okay? You're going to sign up. You can go to coe22.com backslash covenant membership. You're going to sign up. Some of the classes are already filling up. That's fine. If they fill up, we'll get you on a wait list, and we'll get you at the next class. No problem. You're going to sign up. You're going to go to a covenant membership class, and you and I, I'm going to sit, and I'm going to teach you. Here's what covenant membership is. We're going to get into details. We're going to talk about what it means. How do we walk it out? You're going to have time to ask questions. It's called Stump the Pastor. It's a ton of fun. You get a little bit of a chance to go, hey, I've always wondered about something that you didn't even talk about, and I just want to ask the question, which is glorious. It's awesome, right? We're going to sit through a cl- just a class. It's just a conversation about what does covenant membership mean, all right, in more detail. And then finally, you're going to sit down with what we call an affirmation leader, and the word affirmation means to uphold support or, or give positive statements. You're going to sit down with an affirmation leader, and they're going to affirm your faith. They're going to affirm your understanding of covenant membership. They're going to affirm you and encourage you and, and put strength in you that you can walk out what it means to be a covenant member. That's the process. That's as easy as it is. And all we're saying when we talk about being covenant members is we love Jesus. And, and we love loving Jesus with others. And we love what Jesus is doing here at this church. And we want to be responsible so that other people can meet Jesus. Here's like the final thought. Um, we're not the only church in town. I don't know if you knew that. We might be the only church on Thursday night. But we're not the only church in town. We're not even the best church in town. Like we are not foolish enough to think that we're the best church in town. We're not the only church. We're not the best church. But if we're your church, it's time to become a covenant member. If we're your church, it's time for you to begin to pray through when it's time. If you say, this is my church, it's time for you to begin to pray. Is it time for me to be responsible for making sure people can keep meeting Jesus here? So here's how we're going to close. I want to pray for us. And so I want to pray for you if you feel like God's beginning to stir in you that it might be time for you to become a covenant member, that you, you, you're raising your hand, I'm going to have you raise your hand because I want to pray for you specifically, but raising your hand doesn't make you a covenant member. It just says, hey, Pastor Ryan, would you pray for me? I'm beginning to think maybe it's time for me to be responsible for what God's doing at the church 1122. And so if that's you, if any level, if you're already a covenant member, because we got like a hundred of you that are, and then if you're going through the process or if you're ready to start the process, if there's anything in you that goes, hey, Pastor Ryan, I think I'm ready to be responsible for, for being, uh, being an owner of making sure people can come to know Jesus here. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Just as a, hey, I'm, I'm in. Like, I, this is my church. I'm, I'm going to own it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be responsible for this place, that this household of God. And I'm just going to pray for you. Keep your hand in the air. Not, just, just as a confession, says, God, help me. Help me be responsible. God, we love you, and we thank you that you first loved us. And God, we thank you Um, ultimately, God, we thank you that uh, for each hand that's in the air right now, God, there are men and women in this moment just saying, I I want to be responsible. I want to be a a part of the people, the body, the family that, that makes it easy for people to come and know the glory of Jesus on the cross. And God, I know right now that we have all kind of views. Some of us have views of covenant membership, of membership at church, and we just don't have a clue what we're getting ourselves into, and it's glorious. 
And then there's some of us who we have such, we've been so burnt out and so bruised by the church that, that we didn't think we'd ever be back in church. And here we are raising our hand to be covenant members of a church. And so God, wherever we're at in this room, would you just, would you just give our people strength, God? We know only you can. Like we know only you can. So God, strengthen us, encourage us, inspire us. God, build us, give us strength so that we would know you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, what we want to do as we move into our response time is we wanted to have a visual reminder to you that to receive the blessings of Jesus, it's not a requirement that you be a covenant member. Like we are all, we all can receive the blessing of Jesus. That we're a movement for all people. That just like my little daughter, Blakely, who does really has no ability to be responsible for family dinner, she gets the blessings of family dinner because she's mine. And you and I, no matter where we're at in our maturity, no matter where we're at in our faith, if we have trusted Christ, if we have surrendered our life to Jesus, then we get the blessing of the cross. That, that what we believe about communion, what we believe about our faith, and we take communion, we are receiving salvation. We're receiving, we're being reminded of the fact that Christ died for us. And it was, just to tell you the story of communion, if you don't Know it. The night before Christ went to the cross, he took his disciples and they sat down and they partook in what was called the Passover. And for years, the Passover had been a reminder to all the Jewish men and women that the Messiah was coming, that the Savior of the world was coming. And then uh, on this night before Jesus was betrayed and the night before he went to the cross, Jesus took the, the bread and he broke the bread and he passed the bread around and he said, Hey, disciples, this is my body, which was broken for you. And then he took the cup and he passed the cup around and said, this is my blood that was poured out for you so that your sins would be covered. And so as the church, we, we take communion to remember that what Christ did on the cross was for all people. That, that if you would surrender your life to Jesus, that, that his sacrifice on the cross would cover our sins. And that his blood would redeem and atone us and that we would take on his righteousness. So as a reminder, we're going to take communion tonight. And these communion cups are in front of you. And if you're on the front row, they're being passed around. And I just want you to grab the communion cup. Just grab it. It's in front of you. It's in the little seat back right there in front of you. You don't believe me right now, but I promise it is. If you're like, don't lie to me. I'm not lying to you. Grab it. And here's what I want you to do. Just as a reminder that one, we are all to receive the blood of Christ if we surrender our, Christ, our life to Christ. I want you to grab it. And then as a reminder that Christ saved us so that we would be united with each other, what I want you to do is I just want you to turn to a neighbor, right? I want you to turn to a neighbor and I want you to take your cup and I want you to give your cup to your neighbor. And I want you to tell your neighbor, Christ died for you. And then I want you to receive it. And then we're gonna take communion together. So if you will pull, pull the bread out, Christ took the bread and he reminded his disciples, this is my body broken for you. And when we take communion, what we, re- what we remember is that the mystery of the cross was made known in the person of Jesus. So if you'll take the bread and take it in remembrance of Jesus. Then he took the cup and the cup was to remind them that a blood sacrifice was needed to cover sins. 
about the whole entire Old Testament blood was spilt by lambs and rams and goats and bulls and all these animals were sacrificed. And what Jesus was for us was the perfect sacrifice. That he was the perfect lamb. That when he went to the cross and died, his blood was offered to cover our sins forever. So he took the cup and he said, every time you take this cup, you remember that the blood of Christ is available for all people. And then would you stand with me? I want to pray for us. And then we're just going to respond as a church. We're going to respond as a body. We're going to proclaim to Jesus that we love him and that we are grateful for what he did on the cross. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you are a loving Savior, you made known the mystery of the gospel, that we were made whole, that we were made whole by the gospel, that the good news is that even though we were sinners, that Christ died for us. And when we take communion, we declare and we remember as a body that Christ, you died for us as individuals, but you died for us as a whole. And God, thank you that we all receive your blessing. God, thank you that you're, you're calling and maturing us to Be responsible so that others would come to know you. And God, we pray all this in your name. And God, we worship you and we we praise you that you dwell amongst us and that you receive our worship. God, it's in your precious and your powerful and your holy name we pray.